That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Yo, what's up? Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks to humans for bringing us in and thanks to you for supporting the show. Today's guest is Daniel Mills. Super stoked to have Daniel on today. He created 911 Buddy Check and uh, 911 Buddy Check is an avenue for 911 providers to check in or reach out for help in dealing with things we see every day. Um, Cops, firefighters, EMS, veterans, or dispatchers. We're going to get into uh, more about 911 Buddy Check and what that offers. Uh, First, a little bit about Daniel. Daniel Mills is happily married to a wonderful woman, and he's a father to an amazing son. He's a veteran of the U.S. Navy, a firefighter, paramedic, an educator, and a critical uh, critical care flight medic. Daniel became addicted to drugs and alcohol at an early age after growing up in an abusive home and being subjected to mob activity and sexual abuse. Daniel ended up on the streets at 15 and became involved in selling drugs and gang activity. After years of running the streets, Daniel eventually pulled away from the gang crowd and became a firefighter slash EMT in 2002. His substance abuse didn't stop with his new career. He continued abusing substances to which eventually landed him in jail. After overcoming major health issues and legal issues, Daniel began a crusade to help his brothers and sisters in emergency services who suffer with post-traumatic stress and substance abuse. Noble thing Daniel's doing. Daniel Mills, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you, man. What's up, my man? Doing Glad well, man. <laughs> How's that feel to hear your uh, bio? It's kind of it's so it's always been an interesting thing uh, for me to hear back some of the things that I've been through or that um, I've failed at or accomplished at. Uh, what does that feel like to you? Uh, it makes me feel kind of like a you know a shining shithead. You know, I look back, <laughs> I was like, oh man, I, I yeah. used to be that guy. Yeah. I was that guy. <laughs> Yeah. So where where are you from? You're from? I am from Sweet Home, Alabama. Alabama. Love it, I, man. I try to tell people I'm from upstate New York, but they don't ever believe it. So <laughs> I have a, I have a, some friends and uh, their daughter's named Alabama and uh, bo- both in recovery, both good people. And uh, they're uh, big Mike, man. He's a, he's a fan of Alabama for sure. Obviously they named their daughter that, but now when I connect, awesome. yeah, it is. It's, she's a, a cute little girl too. And they're, they're awesome folks. Um, when I, when I also think of Alabama, I think of yellow wolf. Do you, uh, do you listen to some yellow wolf? Yeah, ever? man. Yellow wolf is literally <laughs> from Birmingham. That's what like, I thought. That's what not, I thought. Not 15 minutes from where I grew up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. My, so when my daughter was like two, the album Trump music was, um, was released around that time. And, uh, we would put her to sleep with, um, with my box Chevy. That was the only song she would go to sleep to. And then when she got about three, I was still bumping it. And, uh, she would be in the back seat going, don't make me go pop the trunk on you. It's one of the songs off there. <laughs> Comedy, man. Anyways, totally sidetracked here. That's um, awesome. Yeah. yeah so, you, so tell go wrong. Yeah, no, 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 man. Good, good stuff. Um, let me, uh, let's jump into you a little bit. Let's get to know you. Um, take us back to Daniel as a kid, kind of, what are some of the things you saw? Um, where did this start for you and, um, and what brought you to where you're at today and starting 911 buddy check? Yeah. Like growing up, I was that, 
that typical suburban fucked up family just you know come from divorced parents and i was uh i was that little kid that you know when eminem first come on the scene like i really kind of related to that guy you know um you know i had a dysfunctional two dysfunctional parents who you know it's the common thing i mean they weren't bad people just probably didn't need to be parents at that time and uh you know, I had a had a stepdad who was really semi-normal, but you know, I I remember just from early age, and I was talking to my wife about it this morning. Just like I was always yearning to to know that I was important, and I just never was to anybody. I was always felt like I was just, you know, kind of that nuisance, like that kid that you know I come around and they fed me once or twice, and I would never go the hell away. Um, you know, and I was always looking, you know, I wanted that attention and just wanted to, uh, to know that I mattered. And I really didn't have that. And, you know, I kind of progressed, you know, with some issues throughout my childhood. And, um, my mom left my stepdad at 14 and my, my stepdad, he was a pretty cool dude. Like, you know, uh, super smart. He was a nuclear pharmacist, like real successful, uh, wasn't, wasn't the best step parent but he wasn't the worst uh and that was my my one i guess sense of normalcy and moms left him for a drunk drug addict no job hadn't had a driver's license in 20 years this piece of real winner you know good old alabama <laughs> white trash <laughs> what is yeah. what is it what does that look like just like paint me the picture of the of the a person torn, yeah let me see the what's what's the apparel look like yeah, all right so close your eyes and think of the dingiest <laughs> right. trailer park you've ever ever okay. witnessed and this motherfucker was the mayor like <laughs> you know and this his, his name was was daryl in fact you know this is my brother daryl my other brother daryl <laughs> you know that dude just I, I was already on the the fence just I always felt like, you know, I had a little sister. She was the beauty queen, the pageant princess, all that bullshit. And, uh, you know, it, I just never felt like I mattered. And, you know, as a kid in them developmental years, uh, you know, that's a, I mean, it sounds stupid because it, it, people have been through worse, but, you know, during those years, like that's the time, you know, you're, you're looking for a father figure and somebody yeah. to kind of step up and out and, you know, I just, I didn't have that. And I spent a lot of time on my own. Um, you know, I got fucking picked on. That was a little bitty thing, man. Uh, I remember my freshman year, I weighed like 119 pounds. Um, I was always just secondhand. I guess that's the best way, you know, just secondhand clothes. You just kind of felt like um, you're in the shadow almost. Is that yeah, a good oh, way to yeah. describe you it? You know, and I mean, just, I, I, I remember, um, first time I ever went to summer school, like I always got little, and, and looking back, it was stupid, but I remember I always got these little $20 Walmart shoes. And, you know, my sister had a, a $2,000, uh, pageant dress. And mm. I remember I always used to get fucked with and beat on and picked on just cause how I dressed Cause I was like a, like a secondhand shoe to people, and, yeah. you know, in, in your younger years. And like, I'm a big fan of this guy named John Joseph and he's, a uh, the, the lead singer for the crow mags. And I hear mm. people like him mm. talk now. And I'm like, God damn, I'm a fucking pussy. But like, it just, you know, I remember back in my day, like it just really set the course for me. And my stepdad, like my real dad was kind of in and out. He was one of those six months dads, you know, call six months. Hey, you still alive? All right, motherfucker. See you in another six. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And when my stepdad left the picture, um, you know, there was a lot of life events that kind of culminated all at that one point. And I went from, you know, a, a dude with a college degree and very educated and humble and kind to the, the mayor of the, of the trailer park, you know, who just uprooted my life. And, uh, you know, um, shit just kind of got weird. You know, I, I told you in my bio, you know, the, I know one thing that'll kind of people are like mob activity. Yeah. I was wondering, uh-huh. I was wondering about that too. Yeah. So, so my, my granddad, he, and I, you know, he, he died years ago and I'm not speaking ill of the dead. He was, he was an awesome dude, but, um, old, old pops was, uh, he was, he was deep into all the, the gambling, the, yeah. you know, he was a gangster. To, oh yeah. I mean, he was, he was, a, he was a legit OG. Like I yeah. used to hear, uh, pops talking about people waking up without their kneecaps and shit you know yeah. waking up dead and I always just thought it was like a joke um and he wasn't joking but uh he he had a real bad motorcycle wreck uh when i was younger and uh he was paralyzed from the neck down so it kind of changed his life but he kept you know doing the bookie thing and running illegal games and he had a bar like he was just that guy you know yeah. um a lot of stuff I didn't find out till, till later in life, but you know, he was just, he was that dude. And, uh, when I was 12 or 13, um, he moved in with us, um, uh, moved in the basement and just a constant of prostitutes and, you know, drugs and alcohol. How and old were you? 12? You were 12? 12. Yeah. I Damn. remember, you know, one one night like this, this, fully grown naked chick comes walking through my room like tits out and they're completely <laughs> naked Damn. and i was just like what the fuck some 80s, you know? and some like, 80s oh, bush rocking yeah yeah you know like it was it is and like i look back on it and i'm like oh that's fucked up yeah like, this is you know but um you know he he just had this this life but i was just enamored by him just because i I was like, I want to fucking be that guy. Like, I want to be like him. Like people, even in a wheelchair, people feared my grandfather. They respected him. They feared him. Like, you know, but I was right there in it. Like I used to listen to him pay these chicks. And I remember one night I was, I was little, I was like 12, 13. And, you know, I told him, he was like, Hey, here's an extra 50. If you put that thing on my face and, you know, I'm like, what's a pussy? Like what? You know, and I remember I like I didn't know what getting head was, and I mean just and at this age, I guess the same age as my my son is right now, and you know I look back on it and I'm like, no, nah, this is this is fucked up. This yeah, is not normal. Yeah. Well, at the time um, too, I mean, kind of you're 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 looking for like you'd mentioned earlier, you're looking for a father figure, you're looking for someone to be proud of you, you're looking for somebody to to look up to, and and so he was it, right? Yeah, and you know, and he man, he taught me how to gamble, like. I remember one day he had me and my little sister around the poker table to, uh, teaching us how to play Turbo Texas Hold'em back before it got all <laughs> you know popular. Yeah, and uh, yeah. moms came by and she had a you know a coronary of course because you know my little seven year old sister was at the poker table. Um, <laughs> you know, but that that was my life like the drugs and uh, you know the the naked women coming through my room and he had a, a gay nurse that was you know, always like making these really weird passes at me. Nothing ever happened. That wasn't where the sexual abuse come in, but, uh, that was a little later, but 
just always like it was just so fucked up like yeah. you look back at it and you're just like yeah we lived we had a nice house you know i mean we're just normal suburbs but it was just fucked up i mean like no 12 year old you know in their formative years should be seeing drugs and you know i mean just something as simple as like i would come out every day to go to the bus stop and there would be a manila envelope full of full of cash laid up against the garage door and it was always there and there'd be a different envelope when i come home and you know watching them put you know stacks and stacks of cash up in the ceiling and uh just i mean it was just that life you know yeah. but i idolized it i was like i want to i want to be a fucking mob dude like i want to be a gangster <laughs> You know, like I will, I will do like, you know, Papa said, and somebody's going to wake up without their kneecaps and, mm. you know, it, it just, it was just fucked up. Um, he was murdered when I was 15 at the, in that house. Uh, his nurse took him out for some money, you know? Really? And so the, the nur- the gay nurse ended up taking yeah, him out. Yeah, Damn. it was. That was a whole bad, you know, it's just like a big white trash soap opera. Like when you think of Alabama now, you're going to be like, yep, that's that dude. But no, yeah, you know, it's um, interesting is, uh, dude, it's so interesting, man. It's, it is, I, it's like you said, it's crazy, bro. Like you, you look back on stuff like that and, um, you know, maybe when you're 12 at the time, it doesn't seem like it's as big of a deal, but the effects of a 12 year old kid's mind that those types of things seeing, especially the sexual stuff. Um, you know, we all know as, as little, little dudes, like going through puberty and learning about, you know, what, what tits are and, and whatnot. Like, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a difficult time. You know what I'm saying? So, so like when my, we, we would put my granddad to bed every night, like we, he's paralyzed from the neck down, but he still drove, ran a business. Like he, he was the ultimate definition of a survivor to me and he, and he flourished. But like every night I would put him to bed and have to put his porn tapes in for him and, and give him his little, his little jerk rag, you know? And at the really? time I didn't fucking know, I knew what the porn was cause I would yeah. hear it, you know, every night because uh, we, we turned a two car garage into an apartment for him and I uh-huh. was downstairs. So, I mean, we were, there was sheetrock in between us and I'd hear the porn and I'd hear him in there, you know, getting his little rock soft and, you know, I'd have to put his porn tapes in for him and, you know, hand Damn. him a rag. I didn't know what the rag was for. I know now and it kind of fucking grossed me out, but you know, <laughs> it was like, like a, a tube sock or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it set me up for what I became. I mean, yeah. and, so what, so, you know, so where, so where did that bring you in? Like, when did you start, when did you start, um, you, you kind of running the streets, uh, using, using drugs more often, um, take us to that point, like where, where that starts and then how that progresses into um, your adult life. So when, when my granddad died, um, like I said, we had moved, and when he died, he left mom a lot of money because he was worth a lot of money. So mom went through her little crisis, and uh, you know, like I said, mom wasn't perfect, but she was always present. Like she yeah. was always around. Like it was a fucked up, mental abusive. You know, she had it. She grew up in a, a child's home, foster home, like teen challenge or some shit like that. So she came with her own bag of, of fucking demons and skeletons. Yeah. Um, but so she, when she left, she started disappearing for like weeks at a time and, you know, come into all this money and she would, 
like dip on a Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday, leave me a, an envelope full of cash and I wouldn't see her for days, mm. you know, and cause she was off with this dude. Um, you know, so what, what the fuck's a 15 year old going to do with a, an envelope full of cash? You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to invest it, <laughs> you know, and you know, that's when a lot of my popularity started. I don't want to call it popularity because it sounds fucking cliche and hipsterist. But I got but like, you though. Like, like you, yeah. you said before, like you didn't have a lot of money. You kind of got secondhand stuff. So now you're 15, you got a little cash and, and people probably want to start hanging around you because you can get drugs. You can get, you can go do stuff. I mean, whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, I literally had, you know, three, $400 for quote unquote a weekend. And I'm like, hey, shit, we're, you know, back then, back in the 90s, fuck, you yeah, were, that was a lot you of were money. man, that was like Jay-Z status then, <laughs> you know, we're like popping Budweiser bottles, but, you know, that's when it really, uh, I remember, you know, I, I drank a bunch as a kid, you know, I'd go to the bar with my mom, uh, to my granddad's bar, and they'd always feed me like Jack Daniels and lemonade and, um, you know, beers and, you know, my granddad would let me drink beer, but nothing ever crazy, but yeah. I was always drinking it. Um, you know, and he had a full bar, you know, at the house, not the one he owned. And I'd always drink rum and stuff with my cousin. But I remember the first night I went to my first party with, uh, this dude named Jason and Casey. And they, they were like, you know, the, the two guys in, in my high school, like they were, they were the shit and they liked me just cause I had money. And then, you know, so fuck at that point in my life, I had made it, you know, at 15, I had life figured out. And, you know, I remember the first, first party I ever went to and drinking Budweiser and just puking my toenails up after like three of them, you know, and then it just, that's where it kind of started. You know, we, uh, started smoking pot and, uh, eating pills, Xanax, Klonopins, you know, I, I would rummage medicine cabinets for old you know lower yeah. tab bottles and percocets and well like i said i've never been to alabama but i would imagine and you're where you live is kind of a small smaller town right is it helena or no that's where you yeah it's, it's helena it we're a helena. suburb of birmingham and okay you know the bar scenes are pretty pretty hype here and there's, well, i was gonna say there's probably not a whole lot places. there's probably not a whole lot to do though other than go out and 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 drink and have you know, when you're that age or, or is there, am I, am I wrong? No, no. And especially back in the nineties, yeah. this was 95, 96. Like I want shit to do back then yeah. for real. Other what, than, what about sports or anything? Were you into music or sports or was there anything man, that like kind of you? You know, I, I, was, I played every sport known to man and it was more just cause I wanted that attention. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to know that I mattered, but the harder I tried, the less I mattered kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, my parents never came. My dad, my real dad would show up every now and again. Um, but you know, fuck, I was little. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't put any size on me till about my, my sophomore junior year. Um, you know, but it, I was just a, a scrawny little kid, but you know, I, uh, that's really when, you know, Eminem is dumb as it sounds really started coming out and i started to get that like swagger to me because i was just some dumbass white kid from you know suburbia he influenced like, he influenced this, this, so this many kids white. yeah like this dude yeah. is white you know i'm like hell yeah i can be like this guy <laughs> did you, you know, bleach your hair coming, tell me you bleached your I, hair dude my nickname <laughs> i will send you a picture my nickname was slim shady no way if you look at a, at a younger picture of me like with bleached hair like i, I swear to god uh, I used to have people come up and ask me for for my autograph. Like, when serious? I was in 
when I was in full hood mode, like yeah. it was, it was pretty bad. I, I was just a stupid ass white kid for real. But yeah. you know, I, I got tired of, of hanging out with, you know, like I wanted harder people. Like I wanted to be like grandpa. Like fuck women. You want you know? to be like yeah, grandpa. Like, <laughs> so I started hanging out. Like I remember we went down to the street races in Birmingham one night. You know, I was 15, you know, drunk. First time I ever did cocaine was with a guy named Buki. Yeah, Buki. I was up, Buki. Buki was from the West Side, and he was drinking Tangeray and Sunny D. Oh shit! And uh, we polished on my first time ever an eight ball of Coke, and uh, you know I puked for two days. But you know I started hanging out with like like trap lords and like like legit gangsters. I was the only white dude, you know, fifteen. I mean, I was hanging out on the West Side. uh, you know, that's really when shit just got really dumb for me. Like, yeah. I mean, in it, and I was just enthralled in it. You know, I was like, you know, fuck, I made it. You know, I hated everything. I blamed everybody else for my problems. And, you know, they just carried. And, uh, you know, I always had some cash on me. And I was always yeah. down to, you know, we were doing drive-bys and robbing people. And, I mean, you name it. And it shit got stupid real, yeah. uh, real quick. So, we're, so what, what ended up? When did that moment come when that changed for you and you you went into becoming a firefighter and uh, e- EMT? Um, what was that transition like? And then let's talk a little bit about how this lifestyle, um, you know, not addressing it, just kind of moving into another lifestyle because you were trying to change, I, I would imagine. But at the same time, it sounds like there wasn't a lot of tools there um, to do that in a healthy way. Um, what, what led you to, to getting into that? And then how did that kind of take over your work too? Well, I was, I was always a poser. Like I really was like, I, cause I always deep down, like I always. That's crazy, like bro. My, that, like that's, that's gotta, I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's a, no. that's a tough, that's a hard thing to admit to bro. Like I, I gotta say, man, I give it, I give you some, some love for that because. Oh yeah, man. I know I was a hundred percent poser because you know, I, I was always that little yapping chihuahua. When you got a bulldog yeah. behind you, then you be the, you're the biggest, baddest motherfucker yeah. on the block. Sure. But I was, I was a, I was a bitch, like because you know I was always just a really just, you know, just a sensitive kid. Like always tried to help homeless people. Even even when I was slinging dope, like you know, I, I tried to help. Like yeah. I, you know, I and it was weird, the honor among thieves thing. But not anyway. Like all my friends started like dying and i'm talking about like not you know mentally or spiritually i'm talking about like fucking physically like i was bearing you know two and three friends a month from drug overdoses from drinking and driving um mm. you know i was getting into trouble getting arrested um birmingham pd kicked my ass pretty good uh dude actually become a good friend of mine his name officer Vic. um he worked me over pretty good because i tried to be a you know a little badass yeah he proved me that i wasn't but um i overdosed my friends dumped me in a driveway and just leave me like face down luckily i was face down because if i'd have been back up i'd have probably been dead but um somebody driving by just happened to see me you know see a body laying in the the part in the driveway and call 911. You know, I wake up, you know, getting my stomach pumped and all this mess at the hospital, and my family's there, and my mom or her boyfriend, my stepdad. Like, it, it was weird. But, you know, I wake up. Uh, my uncle, who is a missionary, just happened to be in the States and was like, I'm going to take him down south. We're 
smoking, get him cleaned up, you know, did the whole detox thing, which sucks because they're, they're like a Christian center and you just ride it out. Like you, you nut up, bite the pillow, bend over the stump, whatever you want to call it. And it's buddy, it, it was, it was rough. And, uh, you know, after I got done, I went back to hanging out with the same people, doing the same shit, yeah. you know. And one day, my buddy was like, hey, let's go check out this fire department thing. And, you know, I didn't have shit going, like, at all. Like, I was just doing odd and end jobs, detailing cars and shit. And, you know, I was like, you know, I'll check it out. And I went and showed up, and I never left. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to one little thing and uh, ended up you know, getting, uh, hired on in October of 2002 did, um, I did a little, uh, they call it a live-in program where I basically, I lived at the fire station and, you know, I just never left. I, uh, you know, for, for almost five years, I mean, I, and that become my, you know, my, uh, your program, my my safe haven. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because they, they knew, you know, they knew, and I never made any bones about it. I was like, you know, I was in a gang, and I sold drugs, and I did this, and I did that. and You know, I caught a lot of shit over it, and yeah. I didn't get any lead way. But, you know, it for, you know, a little while, it, it straightened me up drug-wise. Now, I kept drinking, hmm. you know, I mean, because I thought drinking was harmless. And, you know, it, it, I went to firefighter school in 2003, and, um, you know, I had – my son uh about a year later you know so that kind of slowed me down but i just kept partying like and it i I didn't see any issue in it you know because it at that point it really really wasn't affecting my life per se were you working at this were you working at this time or were you just staying there like helping out so you so you were full full blown working firefighter emt all that yeah, because I, I worked at uh, two different departments. One, oddly enough, I went back and worked in the inner city department on the west side of Birmingham, a little town called Midfield, Alabama. Um, and then I worked at another department where all the rich white people lived, mm-hmm. which they're crazier than the people on the west side. But, you know, I, during this whole time, um, you know, I just kept drinking and would recreationally hit some lower tabs and percocets and flex reel and yeah. you know but it was one of those things like have you a couple of drinks eat a lower tab like kind of like a lot of people do i thought it was yeah, harmless. No, no big deal <laughs> yeah you know i mean just you know no snort a couple lower tabs yeah, nah, sh- shove nuts. it up your ass i mean whatever you know and that's what i was doing but what, know, what's the deal what's back. the deal with that when i was in rehab there was a dude in there um and he would talk he was talking about how he would use a turkey baster to base shit up his up his ass because it got in his blood like if say he was down oh, yeah. to his his last um his last pill or whatever he he would crush it up and then he would melt it down and and i don't know if you mix it with water exactly what the concoction is but stick it up his ass because it would it would help to get him that high he was looking for um you know with with the minimum of amount of dope that he had left yeah i used to do that with ecstasy like i back back around 99 2000 I, I was pushing a lot of ecstasy and you know after you do it for so long and build up such a tolerance i had a yeah. buddy of mine look at me one night and he was like 
I'll shove it up your ass for you. And I about beat the hell out of him. I was like, what the fuck? You know, I was just going to say like, like, man, (laughs) it gets into your blood quicker. And I was like, you're not shoving nothing up my ass. I was like, I'll shove it up my ass. You're not, you know, and and like, and that's what happens. Like, it's this weird fucking, you know, you look back at it and you're like, man, we're really fucked up. Well, well, no, and I I think that's it. You bring up a good point though, right? Because, you know, we look back at our own stupid things we've done. Um, you know, things, things in, from a society level have just gotten worse. It seems like, you know, with the, with, with all of the addiction going on in our, in our country as a whole. And so you got to think that, you know, what we were doing, um, is still, is still there, but it's also evolved into different, different avenues, different drugs, different types of ways of consuming drugs. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a really, really sad thing when you, when you actually have, uh, somewhat, And I say somewhat because my mentality can be skewed sometimes still, but, um, you know, somewhat of, of, um, some common sense to just say like, dude, that is some fucked up shit right there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy. And you look back and you're like, did I really lay on a bathroom floor of some ghetto club and shove pills up my ass like that's where my life was at and, you <laughs> that's know. where my life is like, at. damn yeah dude Christ. that's well man i know i'm but i just want to say though too bro like i it's 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 tough for a lot of people to be honest about you know especially a lot you, you've talked about a lot of stuff already um you know so i just want to give you mad mad love for that like thank you for being honest man, and I open appreciate and that. I, I i also want to i also want to say you know to those out there listening um, you know, what Daniel's talking about is not, it's not an easy thing to talk about these types of things, but that's part of the healing process. That's part of what gets us through and moving on to that next step. If we really want to change bad enough, then we have to be honest and we have to be open about these types of things. Now, obviously everybody's not going to want to come on a podcast and, you know, tell, tell all their details and stuff, you know, um, maybe you do it in therapy. Maybe you do it in, in, uh, in, in a support group. Maybe you do it at a church where, wherever you do it, you have a friend, a family member, like it's important to talk about this stuff, um, and communicate about it and open that door up to start to heal and to start to find out what can help you. Um, you know, is it, is it, uh, is it a program? You know, what is it? There's all types of different things. I want to kind of move into, the work thing of this, Daniel, with you, because you're a firefighter. You're a, you're a, um, uh, um, uh, how do you say it? Do you say EMS or EMT, EMT emergency medical yeah. responder or emergency medical technician? Is that what it is? Yeah, I was, a, I was a paramedic or paramedic. That's what I don't know why. The, yeah. I don't know why the hell I can't think of that. Um, so you're you're doing this. You're still having your own issues, your own demons that you're fighting. Like, what is that? Are, what is that like being in that moment? Because are you are you scared if you get caught that you're going to get fired? Are you scared that you're going to die? Or I mean, because of what you're doing, like take us through some of those some of those moments, um, and then that'll lead us into nine one one buddy check because I really want to get into that. That's an awesome service. Well, yeah, like I was living a lie, you know. Like I said, I was a poser. I mean, I'd been a poser so much in my life, you know, because when I first started at the fire department, everybody's like, "Oh yeah, Daniel, man, he was in gangs, he sold drugs, he's cleaned up, he's a he's a hero, yada," you know. And it was bullshit hmm. because I had to hide it. Like, because you were still doing know. that stuff. Yeah, and I, I was see. like, "Yeah, man, I yeah, fuck drinking," but I was still, you know, and and it's like it does with everything else, like. A little leads to a lot, you know, more leads to more like, you know, you have to, you know, and my job, like my personality, like I had to be out there, you know, that's why I joined the military. I'm like, fuck, I got a, you know, type A, like 
let's let's fuck shit up, you know. And and I was looking for things to give me solace and give me like a shelter from the storm of my life, so to speak. And I always found that in my job. I was like, if I have to take a drug test, I'm not going to use. Well, then it turned into if I have to take a drug test, I can only use, use drugs that I can piss out in 48 hours. Then it started affecting my health. And that's really where everything really started taking a turn because I was in liver failure at 30 years old. Um, you know, I, I threw a blood clot, went to the cath lab, had that, oh, fuck moment. You know, when you're naked, laying on a table, getting your ball shaved by some <laughs> some random stranger, and you're like, fuck, this is it. Like, There's a random stranger it. shaving my sack right now. What yeah, the fuck you is know, going and on? And I was like, I fucked up, man. You know, I had a kid <laughs> during think? this whole time, and I had, you know, I was a part-time dad every other weekend, but I was working myself to death just trying to, you know, I got caught up in life and excuses and, feel, you know, playing that pussy card and down yeah. feeling sorry for myself and lying to everybody and just being a, just a bitch. And it caught me. And I was, I was laying on that table, you know, and, um, I'm telling you, you lay there, get your ball shaved, looking up at some bright light and yeah. none of that bullshit matters. You know, your fucked up childhood don't matter then. And your mommy, daddy issues don't matter. And it's the, you know, I, and I told myself, I was like, if I fucking make it out of here, I'm done. So like, would you is, would you equate that to kind of your your spiritual your spiritual awakening like a moment that you finally had like where it just kind of hit you? Well, yeah, because I literally I asked myself right before they hit me with a whole bunch of verses, and apparently me and verses are a wild time. But you know they it was literally that last thirty seconds because I remember that guy telling me he said I want you to count down from ninety nine, and I remember I was crying because I was like, this is my legacy. Because at this point, you know, for 10 years, I was a fucking disaster. Like, you could see, like, I was like like a tornado. Like, you could see the path of destruction. But all I this had. time, though, but all this time, you're saving people's lives at the same time, right? Yeah. You're out there, these, you're, you're, dude, you're out there, like, you're out there helping the community, working in your community, probably saved countless people's lives. And at the same time, you can't save your own life, in a sense. Yeah. Well, you know, they say the most broken people out there are the ones that try to save everybody else. Yeah, that's true, I mean, it would be so bad. Like, I would party all night doing coke, um, snorting Lortabs, Adderall, Xanax, Klonopins. You know, you put it in front of me, I would have put it up my nose. Um, And then I would leave the bars at 5, go to Waffle House. It was right there. This bar we went to, there's a little Waffle House close. Mm-hmm. I'd hit it up at six, run by my apartment, shower off. And I'd be at the fire department at seven and, Damn. uh, I'd work for two days, you know, and I did this for like 10 years. I mean, like it was, this was over a 10 year fucked up white trash bash, you know, <laughs> like, just so I felt funny, like Jenny <laughs> off of Forrest Gump, you know, like Jenny is like yeah. was a fucking train wreck. And you're like, you hit that moment. You know, like she's in the, in Forrest Gump, she's standing on the ledge thinking about yeah. jumping. And, you know, I, I was going to shoot myself one night and, uh, you know, because I wanted to die, like all the drugs. Like now that I like looking back, I knew that I wanted to die. I was just too big of a bitch to do it. Yeah. 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 You know, and I was like, if I could just die, like all this will be over, you know, and had a, a botch suicide attempt. And I would, I would try to OD and I just fucking, I couldn't even do that right. So you wh- know, when, when did you, when did you reach out? When, when did you finally, when did you say like, so I need help? I and and what was that process gonna, like? 
I was going to shoot myself. I, I worked the shift at the ambulance, had a bad day. I sleep deprived, you know, nutritionally deprived. I was fucked up. Um, driving home, stop, got me a six pack of beer. And, you know, I just, everything hit me. I was just like, and this was before the blood clot and all that. And I was just like, I'm fucking done. You know, I yeah. went home, got my pistol. I was drunk, sleep deprived, messed up, you know, sitting on the floor is me and my dog, my little pit bull. And, uh, you know, the short version, I'm sitting there and she starts biting at me and mm. barking and just going ape shit and i would like push her off and she'd jump on me even more and and i'm not a uh you know all that woo woo shit but i mean bro like i'm telling you she knew and uh about five minutes into it she's like so i throw her off of me like i started getting pissed and she i'll never forget it she crouched down and had her ass up in the air and she was just like it's like she's wanting to play yeah you know, and she jumped on me, was licking me in the face. And, man, I just fucking lost it. Well, my biological dad calls. Oh, wow. And I never, we never talk. Like, we'll go a year without, you know. And he's like, where are you? And I was like, man, I'm busy. I got a lot of shit going on. And he's like, where are you? Something's wrong. And, and you can call it spiritual, you know, whatever. But, man, that was, and I just lost it. And I was like, I got to get some help. Yeah. You know, and then, like, physically, I was falling apart. You know, my, my liver was rejecting everything I was doing. Like, I got depressed. Like, everything was just, it was fucked up, you know. And when I got out of the hospital, you know, I spent, like, seven, eight, seven, eight, nine days in the hospital. You know, I felt like hell. I battled health issues po after that for, like, a year and a half because I just destroyed myself. Like, everything... You know, like you got it. You got to pay the piper eventually. And everything that I had done, all the drugs, the booze, the diet, just it, it come up and bitch slap me, you know, and um, I was falling apart. You know, I was depressed, you know, alone. Like it was just me and my dog. And I mean, it was just bad. Like I had nothing good other than my kid. And I had even I was even fucking that up. Like I was horrible. Yeah. You know, like all the times that, you know, them dad moments that you should be having, like I was more worried about, you know, making fucking excuses and partying and, you know, chasing ass and drugs and uh, it, it was just bad, man. Um, you know, so luckily during that time at the lowest point of my life is when my wife walked in to my life. And, uh, you know, that's when... The, the the last time you know i had a, a pinch of tobacco i was a big dipper was in it when i was in the hospital and you know that's when that that spiritual moment you know i knew i wasn't a christian per se just because i always thought my like, fuck i want everybody to go to heaven i don't want nobody to be left out because you know i'd always felt left out so i could never hmm. really get on board with the you know I, and as dumb as it sounds i didn't want nobody to be left out but I knew like something inside have me you was ever, changing. Have you ever looked at it though like this? Like like that maybe um and I, I totally feel you. I'm with you hundred percent on that. I don't want anybody to be left out either. But have you ever thought about that maybe God has you on a path right now and what you're doing is that you're doing the work that's helping people not be left out of that? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and, and that's man, you know, and I was like, I've got I don't call them second chances because fuck, I've had about two thousand 
But you know, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't waste this. Like, this yeah. is not yeah. like out of all the the overdoses and the drugs and the drinking and driving and the the, the drive bys and you know, after beating a court case, like, dude, I should not, I should be dead 50 times. I should be in prison 50 times. Like, you know, I, I, I just, I was a fucking wreck. But, you know, after that, I was like, I survived, you know. Did you I, go to rehab? Like, no, man. I, I, dude, I cold turkeyed it. Really? I, I told, yeah, when Kayla and I first started dating, like, you know, I, and, and I, to, to close people knew how fucked up I was. And, yeah. you know, and I told her, I said, I'm, I'm fucked up. Like I'm, you know, I was on meds and dude, she never went anywhere, you know, and to be, you know, a young girl and like help me get a CPAP machine because my fucking, I do like, I would desat, you know, like I had bad sleep apnea because all my, my is medical that the big problems. Ma- the big mask that you put yeah, on? Yeah. Like dude, at 30 years old, like yeah, going from the military, like military kicking doors in to six, seven months later, like, dude, I'm, I'm broke down. Like she would go pick my prescriptions up for me, like beta blockers and blood pressure pills and, you know, antidepressants. And like, she never fucking left. I mean, and like one of the most like pivotal, like I'd never had that. I'd never had somebody tell me like, I am by your side no matter what. And she, she stayed and, and you've seen, bro, I outkicked my coverage and <laughs> like, like she never left. And, you know, I knew I had that, that second chance and that I'm like, I can't fucking waste this, but I wouldn't forgive myself. And that's where a lot of your show come in, you know, because I went through a year of, of moping, just feeling sorry for myself, trying to be positive and trying to, you know, day by day it, and then I stumble upon the legendary Shane and I was like, what the fuck, where has this shit been? Because it was you, like we were talking about before you and your man, Seth, and it was the realist just, you know, and then, and, and like I said, I didn't go to rehab, man. I cold turkeyed it. I said, no, I'm fucking done. One, I couldn't physically drink anymore, yeah. but I cold turkeyed all my meds. I cold tur- everything. And I just fucking bit the pillow and, you know, went in with no lube. And I mean, it was, <laughs> it was full frontal, bro. And, you know, it, uh, it sucked, man. It was hard, but, you know, I really just, I was like, I can fucking do this. Like I'm, I've been through some shit and I'm, I'm a tough dude, but I was like, I can do this. Like, like failure is not an option, you know? What kind of support though did you have going? Like, do you do a support group now or like what, what's kind of carried you? Cause, and don't get me wrong, bro. Like I feel you like I'm, I feel like I'm a tough dude too. And I know like Seth would probably say the same thing. I'm sure a lot of dudes out there would say the same thing. Um, but at the same time, like, dude, like I, I don't know. Like I, I know I couldn't have done it on my own, bro. I don't know how you did that. Like I seriously don't know how you did that. Like that is amazing that like you were able to get off of being that low and being that on that much substance and be able to um, be able to just stop, bro. I mean that's an act of God to me. I think you are a very rare case of people who have been able. How long? How long have you been sober now? About a year, you said. Right, right at a year almost. Yeah, my. I, I, uh, well, let me let me finish real quick. I think I think that this is a very I think this is a very rare case in the fact that you've been able to go um, a year and and dude, mad mad props to you for that. I and I totally respect it because I think everybody's I think everybody's 
um, journey and, and different, what works for them, what doesn't work for them. I think it's different. I do want to say for those out there listening to, I would not recommend trying to white knuckle going, especially at the level you were at. I would not recommend that to anybody trying to just do it on your own. Because in my experience, I've talked to a lot of people and, um, there aren't many of them, um, Daniel, and, and you're, you're one of the very, very, very few. There is a couple other ones I've talked to, but very, very few who have been able to, um, get any, any source of time, whether it be 90 days, six months, or even a year, um, without getting some external help, whether it's, you know, therapy or, um, a 12 step program. And it's, especially with the, with, with the work that you're doing too. So I just want to say that and just kind of as a disclaimer out there, I'm not, I would not recommend that to anybody out yeah, there. Yeah, don't, don't but, fucking do what I do because I'm, <laughs> I'm so fucked up. Well, that's, and that's kind of what I want to get into now. So tell us about 911 Buddy Check and how that's helping you and how it's helping other people out there. So, so I've always been really introspective and I like to watch people and see why I'm fucked up. And I, I started looking, I'm like, we, we live in such a judgmental society, fire police and EMS and dispatch. It's even worse. My boy, David, uh, David was my first paramedic partner was just a stone cold badass. Like he was that guy, like the John Wayne of EMS. Um, I saw him on a Friday and, and prior to this, you know, I'd been talking to some friends. I'm like, man, we really need to do something because we just had just a shit ton of suicides. I mean, like it was insane. Stone cold badasses of EMS and fire here who were who were giving in and giving up. And I saw my boy David in the ER. Um, I, we flew in, you know, dropped the patient off and he was on the ground truck. Talked to him. Man, we stood there and talked for about an hour. And, and I knew something was up, like just, it was, you know, you get the weird feelings and I didn't say nothing. And as much of a, a badass as I try to come across and, you know, I'm not scared of anybody. And I didn't ask the hard questions, you know, and David got off the next morning, uh, got off the truck, told everybody he'd see him later and went committed suicide. Dave was the last person that I ever thought in a million years would, would have done that. So. I was, I was talking to some friends and I was like, fuck, I'm, I'm over this. I'm tired of it. How do we reach out and just tell people it's okay not to be yeah. okay. Like it's okay to be fucked up. We're all fucked up, you know, but I was, I was just putting my toes in the water because I, I, I was my own worst enemy and I'd be like, well, yeah, I can't, I can't make a video on Facebook because people know me and know my past and they may say this, this, and this. Or, you know, I can't do this because nobody will back it because they know that I'm this, this, and this. And that's where you came in and a whole bunch of others. But, like, finally, you know, after David, I was like, fuck it. No, we're, you know, and we just started doing weekly buddy checks. I mean, it was like the, the veterans. You know, I'm a veteran. Um, I'm a OEF veteran. And we, we steal all the limelight from our people who are in constant combat here 365 days a year. Monday through Sunday, getting fucked with, shit on, pissed on, murdered, you know, watching people dying. Um, this job, it's it's messed up. Like, it is not a normal job. And, you know, we, we don't pay it the respect that it deserves. And, you know, so many people are like, well, yeah, you know, I, I deal with some stuff, but, you know, the veterans overseas. And I'm not taking away, believe it. Hey, look, I'm a veteran, so don't send me hate mail and shit. But, like. You know, when I went overseas, it was easy 
for the most part, there was some bad times, but it was really easy. It was a break. If you think about our police officers, firefighters, EMTs, our dispatchers, you know, every day they get up. I mean, 365 days a year for 20, 30, 40 plus years, just, just with the odds stacked against them. You know, and, and all the stressor and the shit. Like, it's not normal yeah. to pronounce a family of four dead in a car wreck. And it's not normal to, to watch a woman tell her husband of 55 years, you know, kiss him on the forehead and say goodbye after we've coded him for 20 minutes. And, you know, watching the dead kids. And, like, this job is not normal, but... It's kind of like the alcoholic in the room. Everybody fucking knows, but nobody wants to say nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and finally I was like, no, nah, uh-uh, nope, no more. Uh-uh, we're, we're saying something. So I literally, I got on Facebook, and I was like, now I'm on one buddy check. Nobody had done it, you know, and I just started every Wednesday, you know, saying, hey, check in with me. You know, let me know if you're okay. But I really didn't know what to do, and it has progressed and flourished into so much more. Like, I started literally just, you know, I'll just throw little videos out there. Normally, after I get done running, because that's kind of when I do my long runs is my meditation time and when I really think. But, you know, I'm like, hey, if Shane if Shane Raymer can, can, can bear his soul and and everything hell so can i so here it is bitches like i'm a, I'm a recovering <laughs> alcoholic i'm a recovering drug addict i was molested as a kid you know twice like i deal you know everybody looks at me as a flight medic like you know we're, we're superheroes and you know and, and they're like nothing bothers y'all that's bullshit man yeah. you know that's my wife i've been on my hands and knees sobbing in her lap you know, because of the shit we deal with. And I still deal with it, but I deal with it in a better way. And yeah. my sobriety and having to face my demons, um, you know, really, because for I stayed drunk and high for so long, I never dealt with it. I was a, I was like a damn sociopath, hmm. you know. And, and people, we try this this big dick mentality that, oh, nothing bothers me, nothing. No, I'm, I'm cool. I'm good. I'm good. No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. No, none of that bothers me. That's bullshit. Yeah. If it don't bother you, then you're like John Wayne Gacy or something, and you need to go the hell on. <laughs> but in, in this in this field, we, we have no support system. Now, it's coming It's coming around. Social media has been huge. Yeah. How many, know, people, just, how, how many people do you have in the community? I know that there was a couple thousand, I think, last time I looked. Um, that oh, are, yes. Uh, we're bordering 3,000 right now. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, so you have a lot of know, people I, reaching out and kind of just – even if it's just a quick check-in, like you said, just, Hey, I had a, I had a, a good week. I had a rough week. Like, what's up guys. Uh, Hey, I dealt with this. Um, you know, any advice or just, I mean, it's just, like we talked about earlier. It's, it's really about communicating and I, trust me, I'm not trying to sit here and act like I know what the fuck that's like in, in being a police officer, a medic, anything. I have no fucking clue. I can only imagine so much love and respect to, to our men and women who do those jobs, our veterans as well, of course. But like when it, when we look at it as a big picture, no matter what level of trauma any of us have experienced as, uh, you know, as kids, as young adults, as adults in the work we do in the, in our lives that we live, um, being able to open up and not stuff those things down where they, the demon, that's where the demons thrive. They thrive in that deep down dark place when we don't talk about this kind of shit. And so, you know, it's, it's so important to have resources like 911 buddy check, um, like 12 step programs, like I said before, like churches anywhere, you know, just some, or somebody that you trust and respect that you can reach out to and say, Hey, 
I really need to talk right now. And I know that that's so hard to do. Um, but it, it, I just want to say it doesn't make you a weak person. It does not make you a weak person to reach out and ask for help. If anything, I promise you it will, it will make you stronger in the end. Um, uh, Daniel, where can people find a 911 buddy check, buddy check and, uh, uh, where can they get in contact with you at? We're on uh, Facebook at 911 Buddy Check. You can just type it in. Um, and we're on Twitter at 911 Buddy Check. Our website's coming up soon. Um, you know, and once that comes out, I'll shoot you all that info. But um, I've got a bunch of friends of mine that are on there. They monitor the emails constantly. We've got all the links on the page, you know, because, you know, and, and you've seen the page. I, I literally just try to be positive and being yeah. a, a quote unquote flight medic. Um, you know, we got the podium for people to look up to us and, you know, literally every day I just try to just post some, you know, positive things some positive little, you know, two, three minute videos. But under our resources tab is where all the professionals hang out and you know, we reference people to the Code Green campaign, and uh, my my good friend Susan Simmons at Under the Shield, and the uh, the Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance, and you know, Cop Line, and I mean, there's so many resources, and you know, a lot of times, like I got an email the other day. This dude was just like, "Look, man, I'm struggling," you know, and he said that thing you're talking about PMA and that positive mental attitude. He yeah. said, "Man, it really." He said, "I needed to hear that today," and you know, so I was like. Uh, just be a lighthouse, you know, yeah. you can go through life being a tugboat or a lighthouse. And, you know, I'd rather just be a lighthouse and, and be a light for people and be like, Hey, look, I'm fucked up too, but it's cool. You can come sit with me. We'll be screwed yeah. up together. That's right. Kind of thing, That's right. You know? I love it. And just be, just be real. Um, so all of those, I'm going to put all the links that to the crisis line, the cop line, national suicide prevention lifeline, um, obviously all those are on 911 buddy check. So if you go there, they'll also be in the show notes of this episode along with the, with the, uh, the show, um, uh, or the Facebook page. I'm sorry. Um, dude, I just, I want to thank you for coming on and being so honest and, um, thank you for, uh, creating 911 buddy check and it's, you know, just being a, a resource. And like you said, I'm fucked up. We're all fucked up in our own certain ways. And, you know, together we can come and we can talk about these things and we can heal from them and we can, we can live life to helping others. I mean, that's really what, what it's about. Um, is there any, anything you want to say, any, any advice you'd uh, like to give or a, a word to your fellow, um, uh, police officers, EM, EMTs, veterans, anyone out there listening or anyone at that? Yeah, just man, you know, be real, be relevant, take the mask off, drop the bullshit you know um we're all screwed up but hey we're, we we don't respond alone and so yeah. we're not going to fight alone when uh when people dial 911 they get a whole host of us and um that's why you know 911 buddy check hey if you if you dial 911 you're getting all of us and um you're not alone you're not on an island um and you know there's always people out there and that's one thing you know you always talk about just be real um you know be honest and say hey let's let's do this together because uh life is truly a blessing it really yeah. is and yep. we take it for granted sometimes but man it's 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 such a an awesome experience once you once you live it sober and and all out just live with purpose and power and passion and positivity and man just rock and roll you know yeah, right on daniel thanks so much for joining us today man i greatly appreciate it peace love respect keep your blood clean